Once again, good morning, church. If you are visiting us for the first time, we would love to welcome you um, again. And if you maybe joined us whilst we're singing, uh, a warm welcome to you. And if you are with your family, uh, such a blessing to have you with us. We are doing a series through the book of Ephesians. So I'd like to ask you this morning to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. And as uh, our tradition, before we read the Word of God in honor for the reading of God's Word, I'd like to ask you to stand if you are able to stand as we read the Word together. Ephesians chapter 4, this morning we read from verse 7 all the way to verse 14. Hear the word of the Lord. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying that he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness in the deceitful schemes. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his word. You may have your seats. This morning, understanding that the Word of God is eternal, we are carnal. Understanding that the Word of God is spiritual and we are men who are mere mortals. The Bible challenges us that our carnal minds cannot understand spiritual things. I'd like us to ask the Holy Spirit to help us even as we are about to hear the Word of God. Let's bow our heads and we pray. Our great God and our Heavenly Father, we once again quiet in our hearts before you. Acknowledging that you are eternal, we are but for a moment. 
For your word assures us that all men are like grass, their glories are like the flowers of the fields, the grass withers, the flowers fall, but your word lives on forever. Your word, O oh Father, is living, it is active, it is sharper than any double-edged sword. Your word penetrates unto the dividing asunder, and your word is like a hammer, it is like fire. It is able to shape us, to fashion us to the likeness of your dear Son. It is able to purify us and to cleanse us of every filthiness of this world. We confess of our familiarity. We confess of our indifference to your word. And we ask that you forgive us. Our desire this morning is to receive your word, not as a word from man, but as it is, as the word of God, which is able to make us wise unto salvation. So I pray for each one of us, O God Almighty, that you would help us. Help us not just to be mere hearers of your word. Help me not just to be a mere preacher of the word. Our desire is to be the doers of the word. So let it accomplish that which you have sent it for. Even as we go about to teach it, I pray for that simplicity, for clarity and humility in how we receive and we declare the word. For Isaiah 66 verse 2, Lord, you tell us, at this heart will I look one that trembles at my voice. So help us, therefore, to understand that by understanding we may mature, by understanding we may grow, by understanding we may go forth to do the work of ministry you have called each and every one of us to. It is for the glory of Christ, for the good of his bride, the church. We ask and we pray all this, and may God's people say amen. As we continue with our series through the book of Ephesians chapter 4, we find ourselves in this particular chapter and our focus this morning is verse 11. We have so far seen what the Lord Jesus Christ has accomplished for us. We have entitled this series, The Gift of Christ. That Christ Jesus has done for us that which we could not do in and for ourselves. And as we've been looking at Ephesians from chapter 1 to chapter 3, we have seen the indicatives as to what Christ has done for us. We have seen how God has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Jesus. We've also seen some of the remarkable acts of God in terms of redemption in chapter 2 as we look at this book but in chapter 3, I just want you to go back to chapter 3 and I want you to see something there. And this is where we are going to build from as we go about even coming to the particular verse that we are going to focus on this morning. Listen to what the Apostle Paul urges and appeals and stands for as he brings to our attention as to the purposes as to why God is doing everything that he is doing. Verse 10, there is a purpose statement there. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God may be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. God is doing everything that he's doing in the church, in the lives of the believers, that through the church, 
the man for the wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers, to the authorities in the heavenly places. That's what we see there. We are also told that God would love, in essence, what we see if you also look at chapter 2 verse 7 and you, you look at this purpose statement, what the Lord desires to do is that through His body, the church, He will display forth His glory to the world. Now, when we come to chapter 4, the Apostle Paul comes in then to the practical implications. And he is no longer speaking of the indicatives. In other words, he is not speaking of something that we are so far removed from. But as he comes to chapter 4, you remember he is saying, I want you then to walk in a manner worthy of the call of God upon your life. By implication, then every Christian is called. In simple words, then we say this because I want you to see chapter 4, then verse 1. Paul is saying, I, I, I appeal to you to walk then in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now, if I would connect that verse and I would connect to chapter 3, verse 10, if God desires to show forth his manifold wisdom, through the church, a simple definition of what the church is, the church in Greek is ecclesia, the called out ones, those who have been called out by God and they have been called out to accomplish, and this is where we are coming to this, to accomplish the purposes of God here on earth. Now here is the question. How will the church be able to accomplish that purpose which God has in mind? Or if we are to look at verse, verse 2, going downwards of chapter 4, how are we going to be able to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace? How are we going to be able to be eager to maintain that unity in the Spirit? How are we going to be able to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel? Is it left to us? And this is where Paul now comes in. He says, no, Christ has done a work for us. We've looked at this. He has destroyed or he has defeated our self-serving. We've looked at that. Secondly, he has defeated the powers and the principalities, the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That's the second thing he has done. But not only is Christ doing that, thirdly, what Paul then goes on to say, that not only is Christ giving grace to all men everywhere, but what Christ has done to the church, Christ is gifting the church with gifted men. And we saw last week that he is the one who is the provider of this. He is the one who is uh, giving out this gift. And these men who are receiving the gifts, it is a privilege. And we looked at that last week. And they are persons. Who are these persons? And my desire this morning, if we are to use the church as a structure, you will see then... That what the Bible is saying then in this particular verse 11, what he gave them the apostles, 
He gave the evangelists, he gave the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and the teachers. We are seeing here these persons and my desire this morning, we look at this first group, the apostles. Let's examine who these, who these persons are. The apostles. We are going to look at the meaning of the, of the term apostle. And we are going to see as to who is it that Paul is speaking about. But secondly, we need also to examine. We need to, today it's more, we, we are going to be teaching and we are going to be learning. And we're going to, we need to understand and what was their mandate? What was their message? And what was the motive? Why is Christ doing all this? So let's examine together. Just be your brother's keeper. Look out for your neighbor. And let's examine together. Who are the apostles? Look at the, that term. He gave the apostles. That's the term there. And if we are to be good Bible students, go back to chapter 1 of the same book of Ephesians. Let's not go very far. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. And the man who is writing this letter introduces to us he introduces himself to us as an apostle. This is one, chapter one. He says that Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the will of God. Now, the basic meaning of the word apostle, it simply means one who has been sent. It simply means, in, in a basic sense, an apostle is, in, in general sense, an apostle is an envoy, an ambassador. An apostle was a messenger commissioned to carry out the instruction of the one commissioning him. By implication then, an apostle is not somebody who speaks for himself. It's not somebody who has a self-serving Agenda. There is an agent sending him. And when it comes to our understanding as to how this term is used, the, this will be a delegate, one who has been sent forth with orders. But when it comes to our biblical understanding of this particular term, because this particular term has been misunderstood by many. And it is very important for us to understand that for the church of Jesus Christ to be able to show forth and to display glory, to be able to accomplish that which she has been called for. We see in the biblical sense that the term apostle is firstly used to the 12 disciples. Those men... There were many disciples of Jesus, by the way. Many who followed Christ, but there were those who were singled out by the Lord Jesus Christ. We see in the book of Luke, that the, the way Luke uses that term, Luke singles out that those whom Christ called out for himself are the apostles. But not only do we see that, those who are personally called by Jesus. So Jesus Christ is the one who is calling these men. They are not calling themselves. That's why in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 1, I want you to see there, Paul is making this assertion and he's saying that he is an apostle by the will of God. 
They are not self-appointed apostles. This is not just a title, because some people are using this today as a title to show that they are super spiritual than others. That is not what this term means. These are men who were faithful eyewitnesses to the ministry of Jesus Christ. The book of Acts chapter 1 verse 21 tells us that. Brothers and sisters, as you see and you look at this particular term, the way it is used in the Bible, Paul, the way Luke, Mark, Matthew, the way that they use it in Bible terms, this is where I think the confusion comes in. If you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Acts, the way Luke writes it in Acts, Luke uses this particular term only to the twelfth. Meaning those who were with Jesus, those who walked with Christ, and these would be men who were sent out by Christ. However, the way Paul uses this particular term, Paul uses it differently. Luke uses it specifically to the twelve, whereas Paul uses this particular term broadly. The way Paul uses it, Paul uses this term for those who have been sent out by the church. If you turn in your Bible with me, because I want us to, to see it together. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let, let's look at how Paul uses this particular term. Paul uses it of all the apostles. In other words, everyone who was called by Jesus Christ. Chapter 15. Let's, let's be Bible students because this is a controversial topic. That's why I'm taking my time. Let's, let's get deeper into the word. Let's understand so that nobody deceives you. Let's look at chapter 15, verse number 7. When Paul is testifying concerning the resurrection. Paul writes in verse 7 saying, Then he appeared to James. Then to all the apostles. And the designation there, what, how Paul uses it, he's using it for, for everyone who followed Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to turn again, as, as you see again in Galatians chapter, chapter 1 verse 19, James, okay, who was not among us the twelve, is he, he's considered to be an apostle. Paul himself, if you check in the book of Acts chapter 14 verse 14, there's another man. He was not among us the twelve. In Acts chapter 14 verse 14, his name is Barnabas. Barnabas in Acts 14 verse 14, according to Luke, as he calls him, even Paul, as he describes who Barnabas is, Barnabas is described as one of the apostles. Now, if you look at another usage by Paul in Romans chapter 16, verse 7, there are two other men, Adronicus and Junius. Those two individuals, Paul calls them apostles. Now, here is my point. I want you to see this. There is this broader sense that an apostle was an eyewitness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is this broader sense that an apostle was one who was sent by Jesus to make disciples of all nations. 
But there is a specific sense that we see that the apostles, as you see in Ephesians chapter 4, go there now. This is where now I want you to see that Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 11, he uses the definite article, the apostles. He's not speaking in, in, in general terms of apostles in general. He's not speaking in general terms of one apostolic gift or one gift among us, the many gifts that Christ gives to the church. Here Paul is not focusing on the gift of apostles. Here Paul is focusing on the individual apostles, the apostles. There's the definite article there, the apostles. This one is the 12. It speaks of those men who were appointed, handpicked by the Lord Jesus Christ, and they were to go out to be the foundation of the church. Brothers and sisters, as you look at this particular term of apostle, although there is only one explicit reference even to Jesus Christ himself, I want you to know that Jesus Christ himself in Hebrews chapter number 3 verse 1, Jesus Christ himself explicitly is referred to the apostle. Look at Hebrews chapter 3 verse 1. And I want you to see, this is where now everything then is founded on. The author of Hebrews would again listen to what he says, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling. I love that. Therefore, holy brothers, meaning everyone who has believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, you who share in the heavenly calling. Not just a few men, a few women. No, all of you who have been saved by the blood of Jesus. Because chapter 2 we saw who this Jesus is in the book of Hebrews. Who is this Jesus? The author of Hebrews said, consider Jesus. Look at the term. The apostle. And... High priest of our confession. So what do we have here? What do we have here? I want you to see here. What, 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 what are the implications of this? Jesus Christ explicitly here called the apostle of our confession. It is this Jesus Christ that the entire ministry of Christ Jesus is regarded to be as one who has been sent by the Father. Isn't it? The book of John, John actually makes such a great case concerning Jesus as one sent by the Father. The Father sent his Son into the world. John chapter 3 Verse 17, we know John 3 verse 16, For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, that whosoever who believe in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. We know that verse. But the verse that follows after that says this, 
For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. God sent his son. The word apostle in Greek, apostello, to send, to send Jesus Christ the sent one. Jesus Christ the apostle. He is sent into the world. He is sent into the world by the Father. Then Jesus Christ in turn sends out his disciples. John chapter 4 verse 38. Listen to what Jesus Christ says in that particular verse. Christ would say to his disciples, reminding them of the task ahead, and he would tell them, these men, as they would come to him, they would follow him. Some just came to eat bread, others came to eat fish, but he reminds them in chapter 4, verse 48. Listen to what he says in chapter 4 of the book of John. So Jesus said to him, to, 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 to him John chapter 4, verse Listen to what the Bible says. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I believed. No, I sent you to reap from that for which you did not labor, Jesus says. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. So I am sending you, he tells his disciples. In chapter 20, verse 21, he will tell them in this manner, after his resurrection, just as the Father sent me, so I do send you. Now, what is the point? Why am I making emphasis of all this? All the apostles, or all apostleship, finds its meaning in Jesus, the apostle of our confession. Now, by implication, then, what we have is this same Jesus Christ who is sent by the Father sends the apostles to the church for the very purpose that you and I, then, would not be led astray as his sheep. Because as we look at the meaning of this word apostle as one who has been sent, we need then to look as to what is their mandate? What is it that the Lord God is sending these apostles to do? Therefore, we see there that he's sending them. He's commissioning them as, 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 as they are his ambassadors. As they are going to be his representatives here on earth. What is their mandate? Their primary function then will be that they will be witnesses for Jesus Christ. And their function then, chapter 2 of the book of Ephesians, verse 20 tells us, they were to lay the foundation. If we can speak in building terms, and if we look at the church as a structure, uh, the guys on the, on the sound, if you can just show us the structure there. We know this. The, the book of Ephesians tells us that Jesus Christ is the foundation. Christ is the foundation. He says that I, I, I will build my church. We, we have seen it. If you go to the book of Ephesians, the same book of Ephesians, Paul has already told us about this. This is not something that we need to go to any other book. Paul has already told us concerning this Jesus Christ. 
In chapter 1, we, we've, we've been told, Paul has told us, in chapter 1, verse number 20, God worked in Christ, he raised him from the dead, he seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Verse 21, God has seated Christ above all rule and authority and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in, in this age, but also in the age to come. And God has put all things, all things, to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all things. Jesus is the foundation. And the apostles, in chapter 2, verse 20, we are told, we then, we are being built. Look at chapter 2, verse 20 of the book of Ephesians. We are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So if we look at the church as a structure, Jesus being the foundation, then the apostles will be the founders of the church. Now, if we speak in building terms, let's think for a while, how many times should we or do you lay a foundation of a building? Is it once or twice? So then the apostles were appointed by Jesus Christ to lay the foundation. That was their mandate. Their mandate was to, to establish the church, including the writing of scriptures. They were men filled and endowed by the Holy Spirit. When they spoke, it was as though Christ himself was speaking. When they were writing, they were writing as the Holy Spirit would endow them and he would move them. They were, as we would call it in theological sense, they were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write that which Christ commanded them to write. And because of their role and their qualifications, they were unique. They accomplished their task and their purpose when we speak of the apostles. When they died then, it is only logic to understand to say, once those who are laying the foundations are dead, then it means as well that then, as others would argue, and they would say, then there is a natural connection there. We don't have anyone to succeed them in their office. As such, the argument then is this. Do we have apostles today do we have the apostles in that description of the word it's natural and the logic will tell us no we don't we don't have the apostles they have all gone to be with the Lord but we have their work and the Lord has allowed them to lay the foundation for us as the church of Jesus Christ. But as we look at this then, what we say is, as the apostles have come, they have come to preach, they have come to be ambassadors of Jesus Christ. They have come to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. So in specific sense, we don't have apostles today. The apostles, we don't have them. Those who can speak like those 12 did speak. Those who can write as those 12 would write. However, listen to this, brothers and sisters. In a very loose sense, the term may apply to modern missionaries, as others would argue. 
As Paul would use this term and would employ it to those not only sent by Jesus Christ, because the term apostle would also be used to those who were sent by the churches. So then, as we employ this term, missionaries, which is taken from Latin, mito, with the same verb as we find in Greek, to send. So then, the designation of missionaries as those who would go out in the inlands, in the places where the gospel has not been preached, then we can loosely, loosely, I'm using that term with very much Okay, loosely, people would say that then we can employ this term to the missionaries. Yes, we agree that there's no more, no one who holds the office of apostles today. But this is the argument. People would argue to say, but the gift of apostleship continues in a different sense. That men would go out and they would preach the gospel as ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We too, as the New Testament church, built on the foundation of the apostles, we then continue with the great commission. Amen? Therefore, what are the implications of this? If that was their mandate, what was their message? Let's finish by looking at their message. Come with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 3 and we'll see what Paul will tell us concerning their message. Here is their message. These men were mandated to go out and they had a message. Paul will tell us from chapter 3 from verse 4, from verse 4, by, by, by introducing them to us in this manner. Paul will tell us from verse 1 that he himself was an appointed as a, as a prisoner of Christ on behalf of the Gentiles, and he will say in verse number four, when you read this, listen to this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it is known To the sons of men, in other, as it, it has now been revealed to his holy, look at that verse, holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So there are truths which God in ages past could not reveal to men, but in this, according to the time as Paul is writing this, by this particular time, Paul is making this assertion to say that these mysteries, these hidden things are now being revealed to the apostles. This is where, this is the unique role of these apostles. They are receiving this revelation. They are receiving the revelation. What is the revelation which the apostles are receiving? Verse 6. This is the mystery that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The message of the apostles was Christ himself. The message of the apostles was the gospel. What is the gospel? Simple word. Simply means good news. 
But what is the gospel? The gospel tells us that God is holy and is separate from sin. And that man is a sinner and is, he, he will face the judgment of a holy God. But God in his mercy, in his grace, has sent forth his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us. You see, these apostles right from the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, as they begin their ministry, endowed by the Holy Spirit. We see them now, their message, Acts chapter 2. You can read from chapter 2. And you see the man who was once a coward by the mercies and the grace of God, filled by the Holy Spirit. Now he is a courageous man. He stands in front of the people. What does he tell them? This Jesus Christ. Who walked among you was a man attested to you by God with signs and wonders. You crucified, you killed, but God raised him up from the dead. And as they hear this gospel message, they ask and they are caught to heart, Men of Israel, what must we do? And he tells them, Repent for the forgiveness of your sins. That is their message. They preach Christ. Go to Acts chapter 3, you find Peter again. What is he doing? He is preaching Christ. And the church has been persecuted. We come to chapter 8, Paul being one of them, and the guy who is writing this. Persecuting the church. A Pharisee of the Pharisees, he will tell us. A Jew circumcised on the eighth day. Did he deserve it? No. If we were looking for an apostle, would we appoint Paul as a church council? No. But as we saw, as we saw last week, God in his mercy chooses Paul. Now I want you to go to Acts chapter 19 and I want you to see who this man Paul is. And God lays this assignment upon him and he gives him a message. And his message is to the Gentiles. In Acts chapter 9, we hear what God has to tell Paul in Acts 9. And God tells Paul through the mouth of Ananias. God is sending Ananias to Paul. And listen to verses 14 and verse 15. And here, Ananias is making this allegation and this objection as God is sending him to Paul. To say, I cannot come, I cannot go to him because he's here. He has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Now listen to what God says in verse 15. Listen to this. But the Lord said, go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Handpicked by the risen Lord on his way to Damascus, on a selfish agenda, Paul is handpicked. He sees the risen Lord. The assignment and the message is also given to him by God himself. And as he goes about on his first missionary journey in Acts chapter 13, verses 1, whilst he's on the church in Antioch, what do we see? 
The church is praying. The church is fasting. The church is seeking the face of God. What do you see? The Holy Spirit comes to the believers. And what does the Holy Spirit say? To say, no, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas for the work of ministry which I have prepared for them. And they pray for them and they are sent forth. Now, for such a man as this, as he's going out to preach the gospel, as he's going out, you would think that maybe he should speak about himself. But in his first missionary journey, we are told in Acts chapter 14, verses 14, but when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, they heard of it, because men now were worshiping them as they were performing miracles, signs and wonders. They were being worshipped, but they tore their clothes and they rushed out into the crowds crying, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men just like you. And we bring to you good news that you should turn from your vain things to a living God. So therefore, the message of the apostles was the good news. Paul himself being the first custodian and being the first recipient of this same good news. The message that which the apostles were bringing was the message of the grace of God upon sinful men who have neglected themselves from a holy and a righteous God. For Paul would say and would testify in Acts 14 verse 16 that this God in the past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave him himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, Paul still testifies to the gospel. So the message of these men, they are preaching the good news. What is the good news? That you and I would turn from our sinful ways and we would turn to the living God. So God is not leaving his church without men who be able to leave a witness about Jesus. Men who be able to call the church to its rightful place. Men who be able to call the church to a place where she will come to the likeness of her master and her savior, Jesus Christ. What is the message of these men? The gospel. That God is holy and is separate from sin. The man is a sinner, deserving of the judgment of God. But God has sent a way out in and through his son, Jesus Christ. That through him, men might be redeemed. Men might be saved. And men are called forth to believe then in this first apostle of our confession, Jesus Christ himself. So they do not preach themselves. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 2. What does Paul say? I determined to know nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified. Why is God doing all this? Go to verse 12 to 14, and you see the motive. The motive 
Why is God doing this? We are going to come to this verse again and again. Why is God doing all this? Go to chapter 4, verse 12 to 14. Listen to what, why God is doing this. He is doing this. God is sending the apostles. For what purpose? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. Who is doing the ministry? It's not the apostles. It's the church now. It's the saints. It's you and I. We have received this gift. This is a foundational gift given to us so that we will be equipped for the work of ministry. How else? What is the motive? What is the purpose? It is for the building up of the body of Christ. Is that the body of Christ will be edified. The, the body of Christ will be strengthened. The body of Christ will be nurtured until we all attain to the unity of the faith. Do you see the unity which Paul has already spoken of in chapter 1 verse 2? We will attain to that unity through these gifts which God is giving to us. And brothers and sisters, we have 27 books here in this Bible. Written either by an apostle or an associate of an apostle. This is what will build the church. This is what will equip you and me for the work of ministry. This is what will enable and empower you to be a Christian who is mature. Who will come to the knowledge of the Son of God. To mature manhood. To the measure and to the stature of the fullness of Christ. We will only get there because God has given us the means. And he has gifted the church that we will be able to reach there. In conclusion, then, this is the application. If God has gifted his church with the apostles, and if we look at the apostles in specific sense, as we look at Z12, as they were empowered by God, given authority to write the scriptures, given the authority to go out, that the Lord was able to authenticate their ministries with signs and wonders, we have a clear witness of this Savior we believe in. Our Christian faith, unlike Islam, is not dependent on one particular guru out there. We have witnesses. The story of the crucifixion of Christ is not a fiction, it is a fact. Because the apostles witnessed it and they write their witness in black and white. Our Christian faith can be verified and can be adorned. And we as the people of God then, if this is what Christ has done for us, we need then to be confident with what we have. Amen? Because here we have a book written probably by 40 men over a period of 1,500 years, and they lived in different times, space, and zones, and in almost every part of the world, but yet they all speak one theme, and they all have one message, and that message is Jesus Christ. 
Secondly, Christian, we need, and if, if this is what God has done, in specific sense, yes, we look at the apostles as those sent out by God. I want you also to know this as we look at this topic of the apostles, church of Jesus Christ. There is still a task and a mandate. Christ is still sending us out there. Some of you are sending in your workplace. Some of you in your schools. Some of you in your houses. Christ is still sending his church. Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20. Remember what he says. All power and authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go into the world. Make disciples of all nations. Church, this is our task and this is our mandate. If we are to be a living church of Jesus Christ, we are to be outward focused. Secondly, we must pray for those who have given their lives to the work of missions. Pray for our missionaries. Pray for the men who are preaching and reaching out to the unreached places. Give towards the work of missions because this task for it to proceed and to go forth that Christ may fill all things in all the earth requires that these men who are serving in those lands must also be supported. But if you're a non-believer, before we talk about apostles, before we talk about missions, before we talk about these ones who are being sent, I want you to fix your eyes on the apostle of our faith, Jesus himself. To you, sir, to you, madam, I want you to know this, that God sent his son. As David Livingstone would say, God had one son and he made him an apostle, or he made him a missionary. He sent his only son to come here on earth to bear your sins. He went about and he did that which you could not do. He died a death that you did deserve. He even went forth to become sin on your behalf. For you, sir, I'm calling you and I ask and appeal to you that you know him whom God sent for your sin and for your redemption before we start talking about this task ahead of us. And if you do that, know that God has called us. It is those whom God has called that he sends forth. It is those whom God has redeemed that he re releases for the world. It is those whom God has sanctified that he sends them forth. It is those who have been with Christ that they, by nature of being with him, they have no desire to sit but to go. They have no desire to be pure warmers, but they desire to make disciples of all nations. And this is our task, and this is our mandate. We are the apostolic church. We are built on the foundation of the apostles. And as the church of Jesus Christ, we will go forth as a mighty army triumphing over COVID-19, triumphing over the opposition in the world until the gospel of Christ is heard on every corner of the world, including your workspace. But hear the cry of heaven. Hear the cry of God Almighty in the courts, holy, holy, as the angels are shouting before him. Whom shall I send? And who will go for us. 
May you be amazed at the gesture which God has displayed towards us by loving us so much that he sent his only son. May you be amazed by the grace of God in the gospel that the gospel will by nature empower you for there is no other power, no arsenal which God has to win souls to himself other than the gospel itself. Are you convinced of this power of God, the omnipotence of God in his gospel? If you are, it's not in your own power. It's not in your own might. It's by the Spirit of God. God has equipped His church. He has given us the apostles. We have the Word of God with us. We have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. We have the task before us. And we must go out there and still serve. We must go out there, spend ourselves, spend our lives until our Master returns again. For it is them who are doing such. That he will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. He gave the apostles. You know how it ended? Most of them, most of them, they died. Not because they were careless. Because we were courageous. They went out and they laid down their lives for their Savior. May the Lord empower us that we catch that fire, we catch that zeal, for we are laid on that foundation. May we, may we, as the church of Jesus Christ, walk in the same zeal for the glory of Christ. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we humbly come before you. We thank you so much that you have called us. We thank you so much that you have loved us and you have set us apart. We thank you that you have not left us to our own schemes. You gave the apostles. They spoke about you they lived for you. Our desire is that we, your people, who live out our lives for your glory too. I thank you for this one, my brother, my sister. This one you have called for ministry. This one who has the sense of call upon their lives. This one who has obeyed in their past, yet they come to a place where they doubt whether you are calling them or not. I thank you for this one who has sensed your call as you are calling. You say the harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. I thank you, Father, that as you raise men for the work of harvest, you will empower us by your Holy Spirit. Yet we realize of our own weaknesses, of our own inadequacies, we realize of our own insufficiencies, Yet we say thank you. Thank you that you have given us your Holy Spirit. He's the one who empowers us. Thank you for the apostles that you provided to the church. They have written a lot. We desire to immerse ourselves in the writings of the apostles, in the teachings of the apostles. That we be like the early church who devotes herself to the teachings of the apostles. Help us then daily that we 
would walk in view of the cross of Christ, that we deny ourselves, we carry our cross daily, that in our households we will see those who are sinners being saved. In our workplaces, we will view our workplaces as mission fields where you have sent us, you have commissioned us for your glory. I thank you, Lord, for this local church, for the witness and the testimony of the gospel. We pray that we will remain faithful, that we will make much of Christ and less of ourselves, that he, Jesus, will be highly exalted above all things. It is in his glorious, in his matchless name, we pray this morning. And may God's people say amen. amen. Please stand and join us as we see. Turn your eyes.